Hey, good morning. So have you guys had a good summer? How many people were like me and felt like this relief of returning to schedule now that school started? Wow, not that many. You know, if I would use, I, you know, obviously I love summer. I'm, I'm from New Zealand, so summer is super important to me. But the word that I would use to describe summer for me is whirlwind. Whirlwind, you know, you start, you, um, school gets out in mid-May and you hit this point of like, man, three months of school break, like that seems like so long, man, what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden the sun comes out and you get filled with this intensity that's like, I'm going to make every moment of the sunshine before the impending doom of winter hits. <laughs> Anyone else like that? But then like the sun shone so much. And, you know, and we, I don't know about you, but we had family who came into town, and, and so, like, early mornings, late nights, and then we went away, and, and there was so much that was happening that by the end, I'm like, okay, I think I maybe am ready for the sun to leave because I can't do this much longer. <laughs> but then I'm like, but not really. But, and, and, you know, I listened to Dennis's message from two weeks ago. We were away, but I listened to it. And, and how many people were here for that? Don't you love that we have a leader whose heart is so pure to pursue God and just comes so real? And, and I listened to his message and I'm like, honestly, I can relate to what he was talking about, like in the middle of fish season and the pursuit to get fish, which is one of my favorite things that we did all summer was go dip netting. And in the middle of like for me, it's about chasing the sun, it's about building memories, it's about getting out and doing as much as we can while we can. And so we're going at 100 miles an hour, and when we have people staying in our house or we're going out of state, the thing that begins to happen for me is I struggle to maintain my disciplines, my spiritual disciplines, or my spiritual practices that are somewhat set in stone during the schedule of the rest of the year. Right? Anybody else? Right, so you're with me. And now, look, I know that my relationship with Jesus isn't about performance. I'm not saying it's about performance and I have to do all of these things to be in relationship with Jesus. But I am saying, there's a quote that I heard recently that I really love, which is, delight without discipline eventually dissipates. Let's say that again so you can think about that. Delight without discipline eventually dissipates. Which means that we build, if we, when we delight in certain things, we build practices into our life to keep the delight alive, right? Or else eventually we find ourselves being taken over by other things and we move on. And so that's often the struggle of the summer is in a different schedule and in the whirlwind of it all that some of the disciplines begin to suffer and some of the delight begins to dissipate right? And so I know for me, the thing that I kept hearing resounding in my spirit all summer long was the word center. And sometimes it was, hey, come back to center. Sometimes it was, hey, where's your center? Check your center. Be on center. There was a constant encouragement to, in the season where some of those practices were up and down just because of our lifestyle, to check and recheck and double check that I was still living out of a place of centered on Jesus. Because here's the deal. 
I don't want to put Jesus on vacation mode, right? I don't want to be like, well, Jesus, the sun is out, so I'm going to need you to wait here, and I'll be back when fall comes. Well, actually, I kind of like fall. So maybe after blueberry picking, at what note? After the fear. I'll be here, right? If you wait for me, I'll be back three months-ish. We're good, right? I don't want to do that. And I don't want to accidentally do that because I'm just not paying attention. You know, if Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord in every season, good and bad. And sometimes the challenge is, sometimes it's more of a challenge in the good seasons, right? And so, which is why that I loved, like we were actually gone, we were away for a week, and then we arrived back Sunday late, actually, early Sunday morning, and coming to church last week, I loved Nathan's word, given that I felt like my whole word for the summer was center, stay on center, and then Nathan talked about, his tagline for his message was living God-centered in a self-centered world. Living God-centered in a self-centered world. And I was like, yes, I think this is the word. And I really just want to continue on from that this week. And a core to Nathan's message last week is he brought us back. He had a question like, am I living God-centered or am I living self-centered? Or how God-centered am I? Right? And then he brought us back to the simplicity of God is big and I am small. But You know, the end of that thought was not for you to live in a place of like victim sense of like this big God and this little old me. That wasn't the end of that thought. It wasn't for you to feel weak or powerless or little. It was to understand, it was this transaction of his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts towards me are good. His desires for me are better than mine could ever be. And he is far more powerful to accomplish them through my life than I am. So the end of that message was supposed to end in a place of like, I would rather be God-centered than me-centered. Which is interesting. I loved that Michelle went there this morning. And this place of like, do we believe that? Because if we believe that, then there is an ease and surrender, Right? And so Nathan last week ended, gave us homework. He gave us three questions. Did anyone do it? Anyone do it? Oh, Claudia, if I had a prize, oh, and you. I would give you, like two people did the homework? I'm going to give you some more homework this week. Until somebody does something. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there, okay, I did the homework. But there was one question that he, he asked that really captured me. And one of the questions in the homework was, what obstacles inhibit my ability to live a God-centered life over a self-centered one? If you didn't ask God that question, yourself that question last week, I really encourage you to ask that question this week because I can almost guarantee you that there will be an answer. What obstacles inhibit you living a God-centered life rather than a self-centered life. And, and for me, this week, I deleted some, th- some apps off my phone. Not bad things. Just things that had become a distraction. Things that had become too much of a pull. Things that were wasting time into nothingness that could be better spent on something else. And this whole question about living God-centered versus me-centered really brought me back to Matthew 6. I've, to me, the question of who's at the center is found and answered in Matthew 6. 
in a beautiful way. And, and I've been reading from this chapter almost every single day. I think I read it from four different translations. And I'm, I'm going to read through sections of it from the Passion. I feel like, honestly, here, 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 have some homework. Read through this chapter three times this week. Let it challenge you, right? So um, I'm going to start, I'm just going to read through sections of it. Starts with, examine your motives to make sure you're not showing off when you do your good deeds, only to be admired by others. Otherwise, you will lose the reward of your heavenly Father. So when you give, don't announce it and make a show to be seen by people like the hypocrites in the streets and, and the marketplace have already received their reward. But when you demonstrate generosity, do it with pure motives and without drawing attention to yourself. Give secretly and your Father sees all you do will reward you openly. When you pray... Be sincere and not like the pretenders who love attention. I'm going to step, skip forward. There is no need to imitate them since your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Now, I love the Lord's Prayer in this translation. Our Father dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our life turns. Can you say that? May the glory of your name be the center on which our life turns. Yeah, you just prayed a really powerful prayer. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on the earth just as it's fulfilled in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us our wrongs. Okay, I'm gonna jump forward. When you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others so your Father in heaven will forgive you. And then it goes on and says, when you fast, don't just look like those who pretend to be spiritual. Realize your father in the secret place is the one who is watching all that you do in secret and will continue to reward you openly. Don't keep hoarding for yourself earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourself that cannot be stolen, will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. I'm going to say that one more time. Your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes place. How can you worship two gods at the same time? And it goes on and says, this is why I tell you to never be worried about your life, for all you need will be provided. And then we, re a lot of us know the verse in verse 33 how the conclusion of all this is, so above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom. In another translation, what is it? Seek first. Seek first the kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from it. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Okay, now I know that that's a lot of scripture. But in this scripture, there's a message that resounds over and over and over again. You'll find it. May the glory of your name be the center on which our light, life turns. Then it goes on to say, and I'll say this from a different translation, the eye that is focused on one journey will be full of light. The eye that is focused on one journey, right? Seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be added. There's a call in the middle of it all to make sure your life is centered around the right thing. The pursuit of your life is going after one thing. And attached to it is a promise. Hey, center around me, I'll take care of the rest. 
All those things that you're worried about, he calls them lesser things. Seek first the kingdom, I'll take care of the rest. And so what I really wanna do today is out of this passage of scripture is I just wanna ask us some questions. And the questions are designed for self-discovery because really the reality of it is we want to know what's at our center. Because if, we, if we're just kind of going along and doing our thing and we don't check center, the possibility is, is we're off center and we don't even know it. But knowing what we're centered on gives us the choice, right? So I'm gonna ask us some questions today and they're questions that I've asked myself and the answers aren't always perfect, right? But who knows that the goal is self-discovery because self-discovery leads us to choice, which leads us to potential transformation. It's not about shame. So if you ask yourself a question and you find an answer that you don't like, the thing that we don't wanna do is then go, I'm bad, I'm a bad Christian, I'm doing something wrong, and we move into hiding. Who knows that that doesn't end in transformation? Okay? So I just ask, be willing to ask yourself some questions that lead you into self-discovery, not into shame, okay? So here's the first question. My first question is what? What are your practices? Because you'll notice that Matthew 6 says, when you give when you pray, and when you fast. It doesn't say if, it doesn't say you might want to consider it, it's actually assumed that you're doing it. Now, in the time that Jesus came, those three practices were extremely central to Judaism at the time. So it actually was a normal and realistic expectation that people were giving, fasting, and praying. It was a normal expression of their relationship with God, right? What do you think that's true today? That it's true that you can assume that normal in our practices as Christians is giving, fasting, and praying? Could be. I'm gonna say could be. I don't think it's as assumed today as it was once then, which is why I'm going to ask, what are your practices? Because your practices, your spiritual practices will reflect something, right? And I understand that the goal, I'm starting on the outward practices and I'm moving back in while saying that the practices are a reflection of what's on the inside, Right, So I'm actually just using the practices as an arrow to point back. Let's follow what I practice back to whatever is in my heart that's driving those things, right? Because my practices, the things that I practice are going to reveal something. And if I brought it into another term, I would say, look, my love for my husband would be under question if you could not find any practices in my life that demonstrated that I love him. Like, if I tell you I love my husband and you go, oh, so when was the last time you spent time with him? And I'm like, oh, I don't spend time with him. Huh, that's interesting, right? Let me give you another example. So my son turned 12 on Friday. Started middle school on Thursday. We're making adjustments. And I'm going to tell him myself a little bit because I know some of the moms in here Probably, I know there's some who get up every day and cook their kids breakfast. I, I'm, I'm not one of those. 
In fact, one of like, the glorious days of my career in motherhood was when my children could get their own breakfast. <laughs> yeah, some people like me, right? Because here's my thing. Honest truth, I love sleep. It's one of my favorite things ever. It's like honestly not hard to please me because all Aaron has to do is say, how about you go for a nap? And I'll, oh, you love me. True story. So I, it's hard for me to get up early. It's it, like that is a, like a discipline of disciplines in my life to get up early to spend time with the Lord. And here's the thing, like the transition from elementary school to middle school is like quite shocking because elementary school starts at 9.15 and middle school starts at 7.45. Oh yeah, sorry, that's coming. Like it's, it's, oh rude. It's such a shock to the system. And so the night before Ashton's birthday, like we're talking about what we're going to do in the morning. And I say to Aaron, well, I'll get up and cook breakfast. And he looks at me in shock and is like, you would do that. (laughs) And I'm like, I understand his shock because he's registering. You're going to have to get up before seven o'clock for that to happen. And he's like actually shocked that even on my son's birthday, I would consider it. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I would do it. Which we we did. I mean, he he came, this is boasting my husband a little bit. Like he came in and brought me coffee and woke me up. Like with a coffee. (laughs) It's probably like, which was really sweet because it helped for an easier transition. But yes, I got up early on my son's birthday. And Ashton probably at this point doesn't know me as well. So his, his expression, he's thinking love probably looked like sweet rolls and eggs, where Aaron knows love looks like 6.30 when he comes and wakes me up, right? But what? Love looks like something. There's practices that demonstrate my affection. There are self-sacrificing practices that demonstrate my affection. And I'm gonna bring you back to that verse that says, your heart will pursue what you value as your treasure. And there's going to be evidence in your life of what your treasure is, right? And so when I say, what are your practices? I'm telling you that your practices your pursuit, your secret place in the time that is yours to spend as you choose is going to reflect something about what you treasure. So my first question is what? What are your practices? Actually, even better, I'm gonna ask you, what are your secret place practices? Outside of a setting of a Sunday morning, where we have like a beautiful thing done for you. What is my heart chasing? Can I point to certain practices? What do they reveal? Now, I'm saying remember that this is, this is a place of self-discovery. This isn't a place of condemnation. So if you start to look at your practices and be like, hmm, okay, that's okay. But just Be honest with yourself. Do my practices reveal that Jesus is the treasure of my heart or do they reveal that Netflix is? Or whatever, 
Okay, next question. Why? Why do you do what you do? Because, you know, chapter 6 starts with this. Examine your motives. When? So the whole first part of that chapter is about when you do these really good things, when you give and when you pray and when you fast, examine your motives. Why are you doing these things? And what that reveals is it's actually possible to do the right things with the wrong motives. And not only that, it says if you do the right things with the wrong motives, there actually is no reward in that. So I'll take it one step further. What he is saying is you can do the right things motivated by self. You can have spiritual practices built in your life that is motivated to give me something. And that motivation does not reward you. Which is why we take one step beyond and and we might sit here and be like, yes, yeah, I do these things. I give, I serve, I pray, I do all of these things. Why? Am I doing it to serve myself? Am I doing it because I feel guilty? Am I doing it because I believe that I should and if I don't, I will be punished? Am I doing it because I feel obligated because somebody told me along the way that this is what a good Christian does? Am I doing it because I want something? Do I believe if I give you this, you'll give me that? Are there things in my life that actually started in hunger and turned into routine that there's no life on anymore? You know, I still remember Aaron and I were youth pastors what feels like years ago now. It actually was years ago. And we had, we had a girl in our youth group who, who I was helping disciple. And, and she was really, she'd worked through, like, you know, in, in the high school season where there's tons of pressure and people are dating and having boyfriends and her friends were making different choices than she was. And she'd made a real stance for purity and for, like, I'm not going to, ha- you know, have a boyfriend and I'm going to keep my heart pure. And, and she'd done well for a certain season. And then in the middle of it, she came to me, and she was struggling. And the thing that she was struggling for was, like, it's not fear. It's not fear because I have chosen to not do these things, and I am lonely. And the people who are doing them are having fun. And she was on the verge of making a different choice because she, she just she felt so alone. The boy that she liked was like a million miles away from her. Her other friends were out doing certain things. And that lonely place made her feel like this isn't fear. I am following God and it's profiting me nothing, right? I am following God and I am ending up alone and by myself while all of these other people are having fun. What's the question? Why? Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it so that you wouldn't be lonely? 
Are you doing it so that God would repay you in some way in this moment? Or are you doing it because you have a vision to follow and obey because he's your treasure? Right? And, and in that moment, I just said, hey, let's look at Psalm 73 together. And Psalm 73, and, and I'm going to pick up partway through, is verse 17. What, what happens is the psalmist writes, I saw in the ways of the wicked. And I saw that they were having fun and they were wealthy and there seemed to be no problems. And it said, have I been foolish to play by the rules and keep my life pure? Because they seem to be having no problems. And then it says, here I am suffering under your discipline day by day. I feel like I'm being punished. And then it says, if I had given into my pain and spoken of what I was really feeling, it would have sounded like unfaithfulness to the next generation. When I tried to understand it, I couldn't. It was too puzzling. It was a riddle to me. Then one day I was brought into the sanctuaries of God and in the light of glory, my distorted perspective vanished. In the light of glory. When I, and it goes on, verse 21. When I saw this, turmoil filled my heart, piercing my opinions with truth. I was so stupid, I was senseless and ignorant, acting like a beast before you, Lord. Let in spite of this, you comfort me with your counsel, you draw me closer to you, you lead me with your secret wisdom, and following you brings me into your brightness and glory. Following you brings me into your brightness. Very much sounds to me like the eye that is focused on one journey gets filled with light, right? Perspective. But it it is the idea of when we begin to look around us at all of these other things, we start losing perspective. And when we start losing perspective and start thinking that following God looks like the things that I need to be fulfilled, getting fulfilled, then that's when we start questioning our motives in following Him. Right? The pure motive, the pure motive, and Dennis talked about this two weeks ago, is he is my treasure. What is your motive behind your practices? Is it because he's your treasure? Is it because your affection is for him? Is it because you're pursuing him because you want to know him? Or is there some self mixed in there? Am I pursuing him because I want my problems solved? It's a good question. You know, I love, so in in verse six of Matthew six, and reading from a different translation, it says, when you pray, go into your innermost chamber, is what it says. When you pray, go into your innermost chamber. And that word is a Greek word, which means the storeroom where all the treasures are kept. The innermost chamber is the storeroom where the treasures are kept. And I think there's a double meaning. I think there's one meaning that's like, like when you pray, get alone with God. But I think that there's another meaning that's when you pray, get alone with what your heart treasures. Get alone with a place that treasures His Word and which treasures His promises and which has treasured his prophecies, and which has treasured his ways. And your prayer should be an exchange in the place of the things that you treasure. I'm going to take this one jump further. If your prayer life is only about fix this, solve this, I need this, I need that, you have gotten alone with the thing that you treasure. 
and leave it at that. So I'm going to say, here's my second question. Look at your practices and ask yourself why. Why do I give? Why do I serve? Why do I pray? Why do I spend time with Jesus? Is it connected to hunger? Is it connected to treasure, affection, delight? Or is there obligation, resentment, and guilt? Because the answer to some of those questions is going to again point to what your heart is centered on. You okay? Now, why do I ask these questions? I'm asking these questions. I'm asking you in the same way that I've asked myself because I want to be sure that my heart is centered on Jesus. I want to be sure that I'm not just going about my way and assuming that it is while living in a world that is extremely self-centered. And there's all these messages being blasted at me all the time that causes me to want and desire and chase after other things. And if I am not aware and if I don't stay focused and if I don't examine my heart, I don't want to be pulled in a different direction simply because I wasn't paying attention and allow my heart to begin chasing after other things and get off center. Because when that happens, we don't even realize it, but I can end up with a me-centered Christianity with Jesus somewhere on the outside. And when I do that, I make the jump of expecting Jesus to do what I want him to do and to feed me and fill me and bless me and heal me and fix me, right? And then even lining up behind that, my good spiritual practices can become self-serving. And so often, here's the sign that we've begun to go down that road, is we become discouraged, anxious, depressed, worried, because I've made my relationship with Jesus around giving me the things that I need, or I think I need, or I think I want, Right? So it's a little bit like Nathan talked about last week in the encounter that Joshua had with Jesus when the angel of the Lord comes down and they're about to go to war and he says, are you for me or are you against me? Well, there's so much of an assumption that sometimes we live out of that self is at the center, that everything is for me or it's against me. You know, so when my circumstances don't work out or when, you know, like I want a blessing or I'm asking for a promotion or I'm looking for financial breakthrough or I want certain things, I assume because I want it that God wants it and anything that's not that is not God. And then when it doesn't work out the way that I think it should, what happens? I end up discouraged and doubting and confused and bitter. Why? Because I expected the gospel to serve me. I'm not saying always, I'm saying sometimes. And so the third question 
that I would ask is how do I respond when things don't go the way that I think that they should? There's my third question. How do I respond when things don't go the way that I think they should? Do I get wounded? Do I get bitter? Do I take up an accusation or an offense? In a place that I said that I surrendered. You know, I've seen it happen a ton. I've done it myself, I'm be honest. But I, I'll, let me use finances as an example. Just, it, it's like we can so often get in this place where we feel a need and we're feeling like, man, we're pressing up against a place where we just need breakthrough and we start praying, God, I need breakthrough in my finances. God, I need breakthrough in my finances. God, I need breakthrough in my finances. And then an opportunity comes along. And honestly, I am in a place where, I, given that we've pastored so many people, I'm like, I think that 50% of the time that could be God is an answer to your prayer. And I honestly think that 50% of the time, loose percentages, it's the devil. Because he's like, let me come and give you what you want and see what it does to you. Do you stay surrendered? Right? And so often I've seen like an opportunity come up and people go, it gives me what I want, so it's God. And they jump four feet. It is God. God. And we're like, is it though? Like, did you check? Did you surrender? Did you keep your heart in a place of surrender and double check, God, is this the answer that's coming from your hand? Or is there something else that you're doing in this season? Because God is not always as concerned about giving us the thing that He wants, we want, as He is about shaping our hearts in the process. Right, And so we assume the answer that gives me what I need and makes me more comfortable and makes me more prosperous and makes me feel better is the God thing. And honestly, I would say that sometimes the answer that you are looking for is God saying, let me transform you in the middle of this thing so you come out different on the other side. Right? And so we don't ever want to assume that God is in something just because it makes my life better or easier. Because then I'm assuming a gospel that serves me. And I don't see that in the way of the cross. You know, I don't ever want my end goal to become that I get everything I want. There is a higher goal, which is Christ in me. Christ in me, Christ transforming me, right? And so there's things that sometimes we go through. I would say there's things that we've gone through that have been so hard that never actually gave us the results that we were praying for that came the greatest transformation and a testimony of transformation because of what God did in the process. Because eventually we came to a place of surrender and allowed him to transform us in the fire. It wasn't always that we had relationships restored or money raining down from heaven or the promotion that we wanted. Sometimes it was that we traded what we wanted in for something that God was saying was the better way. You know, and, and that's why... I think sometimes, even in our prayer life, we need to get in touch with the Jesus of Isaiah 53. 
the suffering servant, the one who was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity, the punishment that brought our peace that was upon him. Right? And it goes on to say, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away and he did not open his mouth. And sometimes we experience all these things that we don't understand or honestly are unfair. Sometimes we experience people mistreat us. Okay, Jesus was despised and rejected by men. Did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment was taken away. Was it fear? No, it says he did not open his mouth. As like a sheep before his shearers, he stood silent. And though he was assigned a grave with the wicked in his death, he saw the light of life and was satisfied. And so it said, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Why do we do what we do? And how do we respond when things don't end up the way that we should? Do we go back and do we identify? And do we surrender again? Because we trust your ways are higher than my ways. And the end of my life goal is Christ formed in me. And maybe this circumstance was about something different than what I thought it was. And so I will submit and surrender to the process. You know, and here's the thing that I want to add. It's not that he doesn't promise blessing. You'll find that promise everywhere. You find it in Matthew 6. You know, he says, hey, look, don't worry about your life. There's all these things that you want to pursue. All these things that would distract you. All of these things that would take you off center. Don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom. What happens next? All these things will be added. It's not that we live this life, you know, we, sometimes we hear take up the cross and we think we beat ourselves up and do all of that. No, no. It's the way of the cross that allows us to come into a place that all those things can be added. So it's the cross first. We surrender, we hand over. It's what Michelle talked about in worship. It's because there's a place of trust that understands your ways are higher than mine. I can't see what you see, but I trust that you are for me, not against me. And you are gonna do a better job at directing my life than I will. And I recognize that I can so easily be drawn off course by the desire for lesser things. And it says, the eye that is filled with one journey is filled with light, right? Centered on one thing shines perspective and light onto everything else. But it says, if your eye is not focused on the one journey, what happens? Darkness enters. I lose perspective. I can't see clearly. There's confusion in that place. Why? Because I got off center and I started pursuing other things. And my life got out of alignment because it's him first. And in that place, everything else flows. Do we trust that? Do we trust it? Why, why the cross first? Well, what happens when blessing comes in a self-centered life? Turn to the person next to you. You can answer that question. What happens when blessing lands in a self-centered life? Does it build or does it destroy? 
Is that what a good father wants for you? So instead, we go through seasons and processes that where he will reveal that stuff in us and we surrender again and again and we go the way of the cross. Right? We pursue him first and we trust him to take care of the rest. So here's the deal. The goal of today was self-honesty. That's all it was. Here were your questions. What are my practices? Why do I do them? How do I respond when things don't go my way? And I'm just going to encourage you. It seems really successful giving you homework. Just kidding. This week, I'm going to ask you, get in Matthew 6 and let it examine you and let Jesus speak into that place and have a good look. What are the affections of my heart? What does it reveal about me and what I'm centered on? And if I'm centered on anything else but Jesus, ask yourself, do I trust him enough for full surrender? Okay? Can I pray? Jesus, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. And God, I don't want that just to be words that we say. I want that to be true of every single person in this room, that we live for the glory of your name. And God, I ask for the grace to have the eye that is set on one voyage. I ask for the grace for the seeking first of the kingdom. God, I just ask again that you would recenter every single one of our hearts. God, that you would release the grace of surrender. I ask that there would be the joy of the cross, the joy set before us, that we would willingly walk the path of surrender that you could be formed in us. And so God, for every heart in this room, I ask for the grace to go deeper into you as the center in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand. Good word, huh? Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think there's fire in that lady's eyes right there. All right. Hey, I'm gonna, let's respond with the chorus that we used to sing all the time. Um, I'm not a great singer, but you'll catch the drift, hopefully. And it goes, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. I share with the men that I've been singing this as I've been repenting, because I go, I, I'm singing my song now. Lord, you are more precious than salmon. Lord, you are more costly than moose. Lord, you are more beautiful than grandchildren. You get the drift? Like, make that exchange. Make that exchange with the Lord. Like, whatever it is that you fixed your greatest treasure on, your greatest joy on, let Jesus take that place. Go back to that place. Say, Jesus, 
your loving kindness is better than this life. Lord, purify your church. Father, purify me, purify us. Thank you for the word of the Lord. We want you to be known. We want your glory to be magnified through our lives. So, Lord, just purify us. Make you our first love. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. All right, ministry team will be here to pray. If you need prayer, miracles happen when people pray. So come forward. Otherwise, have an amazing day. Thanks for helping us take down.